Trinamit from Chasing Happiness Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today on the podcast. We have Michael Osterlink, and I actually think I got it close, guys. You know how I butcher names. Michael is a human resilient and conscious relationship coach, and we're going to talk about some pretty cool stuff that he's doing, and I think we'll go down some rabbit holes. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. You're more than welcome. I know it was short notice, and we switched, so I thank you for that. Talk to you. So before we get into what you're doing, a little bit on you and who you are. Yeah, so I'm actually trained and licensed as an American family therapist out of California in the late 90s. I admit the late 90s. In the early around 2001, I decided I didn't want to be a therapist per se, although I got my license to gone. I wanted to do coaching, which gave me a lot more broad ways of working with people. So I've been coaching since about 2000, so about 23, 24 years. But in total, about 30 years of working in the therapeutic coaching space. And there's two different categories of people I work with. One is with individuals on human optimization. I can show that some of my background and training in that space. And then as a marriage and family therapist, I do a lot of work with couples. And then I train work with groups as well and families and a wide variety of other organizing, organizing other people's in, in together. Can I, not to digress and derail things, because I typically do, but I've got to ask, you, you say you're a marriage therapist? Yeah. Licensed in the state of California, I think around 96, 97. I so I have to ask the question, is there truly only five love languages or do you believe in that? <laughs> actually, the, the love languages are great. Actually, I will have my couples do that test just for a few different reasons. One is to initiate conversations because actually I, and it, those love languages are great. It's interesting to use them as a structure to initiate conversations. But the more important thing for me is the actual conversation because most people in a relationship don't know what their own needs are, wants, desires, how they want to be engaged by the other person. And then there's a lot of mind reading, which doesn't work. And then there's a conflict as a result of those things. So just being able to share how you think you'd like to be treated by another human being and then hearing how your partner would like to be treated by you sets up a stage for a healthier relationship. So I do need for those reasons. For the longest time, I didn't believe in those, but then I had a mentor a few years back that said, have you ever thought about applying those five love languages to people you interact in life? And, and he was not, he said, I'm not talking about personal, I'm talking about business. And I'm like, I never thought of it that way. So a couple of years back, I reread it. And now I, when I'm talking to people and I interact with them, I assign them a love language. Once I, st I start to have to work with them, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That does work. Uh, so I love that you've applied or your mentor suggests you apply something specific to like marriage people, to like other human relationships. Because if you think about it, everything is a relationship. Just the degree of intimacy, it might be different. So I, that's really cool that you did that and still do that. I still do it. I do struggle. So every so often I will go back and refresh it. But it does help me understand when I'm working with somebody, especially on the real estate side, what they're looking to do, but then what I say it's their calling in on that life and what they're, it just boils down to is if I can figure out how they function in that space, it makes this, it makes the process so much easier and the connections there. And that's the whole thing is creating that connection. I'm not a transactional guy. I'm all about the connection. If I can't connect with you, it's hard for me to work with you. That's awesome. In that case, you'll appreciate this. I, I was working with a young man and a lot of the work we're doing together is about him and his relationship with his girlfriend. And we're talking about expectations. What does he expect from his girlfriend? What does his girlfriend expect from him in terms of behaviors on a daily basis? And once again, it's one of those conversations that 
most people don't have and they knew everybody had. So there's like minor reading, unsuccessful, and then conflicts that emerge. And at the end of that conversation around his girlfriend, I said, you're considered to have that same conversation with your best buddies. Like, what do you expect from them as your friend? And what do they expect from you? And as little as couples do that, romantic partners do that, like, I can't imagine many friends have that conversation. He's like, he thought that was a wonderful idea. And he's actually still having this conversation. What's it mean to be my friend? What, what can I expect from you? What can you expect from me? Boom. Just had that conversation. So there's not this going on in the friendship. Yeah. I like that. You know what? You, now you got me to do it to think about something also, because I honestly, I don't apply that to friendships. I was just applying it to business relationships. So that's, I like that. Now I'm going to probably have to go back and do some more homework. So thank you though. That's yeah. cool. That's a good way to approach it. Um, relationships. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just all relationships. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But it, we can start going down this rabbit hole of relationships in general. We as human beings, we crave those relationships, but at the same time, we don't take time to foster them. It's like the instant gratification. I think we talked about on our pre-call about the internet. I think we're sometimes in that same lane when it comes to interacting with other people. And, and I would say interacting with ourselves too. How often oh. we sit with our own experience, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own sensations as opposed to like either acting on them immediately, which is instant gratification, or looking to state change by distracting ourselves with drugs or alcohol or porn or Netflix or whatever we do to distract ourselves from our own experience. So not only do we not really necessarily cultivate through time and effort relations with other people in the, in the way you just described, I'd suggest a lot of people don't do it themselves either. So can we dig into that? Cause that's a pretty interesting topic. I think that would be very, really cool to talk about. How could we be better at working with our own thoughts and working through those challenges instead of numbing it out, which you said with Netflix and all the other BS that comes along? Yeah. So it's interesting. So me and a partner of mine, JC Glick, he's a former army ranger. We're launching a men's group and we've been doing interviews with men, part of our group. And it's a resilience group. And I'm going to connect all these dots. So a lot of people will think coming into the conversation, oh, resilience, I can carry logs, long distances or heavy things, long distances and who y'all kick ass, gung ho. All that stuff is great. I, he's an army ranger. So yeah, yes, we can do cool, really cool things. But really resilience really is, not change the resilience. It's in addition to doing cool, really cool physical things. It's one of the things It's the ability to sit with one's own experience for long periods of time without seeking distraction. Can, and that's really hard for most people. Like we, I just walked through mm -hmm. what, what we will have them do. And I do with clients last almost 30 years is just notice how long you're able to sit with whatever is arising in your system, anger, sadness, grief, guilt, shame, happiness, joy, bliss. And it's important to like these last three, happiness, joy, bliss, because it's not just what we call the negative emotions. And I put those in quotes because you have a long conversation about negative and positive. But in a lot of families of origin, we are taught that certain things are uh, inappropriate. I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, I just learned how not to cry in my family. Or life is horrible. You shouldn't be happy. There's nothing to be happy about. Okay, I shouldn't be happy. There's various messages we get. And through those messages, we have our own way of organizing ourselves to contract against feelings. So I'm not going to show whatever that thing is. From everything from bliss and happiness to joy, the pain, sorrow, suffering, and sadness and grief. So like, I, I'll ask a client, how long can you sit with whatever it is before you're like, 
I need to distract myself with whatever I need to distract myself. So just first, it's just an awareness exercise. And it literally could be 10 seconds. It could be a minute. It could be two minutes. And then just be aware. Then what do you go do? What's your default? I go do X. Cool. Okay. The more you become aware of the two minutes of sitting in the suffering before you go to X, then you can start creating a little bit of space between, oh, this is what I feel. I don't like it. And this is what I do to distract myself. And that space you extend over time. So I, I sit uncomfortably in a feeling for 30 seconds to a minute, hey puppy, for 30 seconds to a minute. And, and then I distract. I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to sit with it for two minutes. I'm going to sit with it three minutes. And sitting with it is literally, okay, I want to see how I can track against that feeling. Because we all, we look, I'm a somatically trained therapist. Transpersonal is my graduate degree and postgraduate work was in somatic or biopsychology. So I'm always interested in like, how we actually use our body to not feel and experience something. So like we might contract the muscles in the chest. Okay. When you contract, when you contract the muscles in your chest, you're not breathing fully, you're doing chest breath instead of full abdominal breath, which is a really way of allowing yourself not to feel something because you're contracting against it. Perhaps you're angry about something, but you, the message is I can't be angry. So you can tighten the jaw. There's something you want to say, but like you don't. And so you contract the jaw or whatever way we organize ourselves physically to contract against the experience. And then we have a script, like literally we have words in our mind that say X, Y, and Z, which support the contraction of the physical body against the experience. So I just start having people be aware of how they do all that, even for a minute or two before they disrupt themselves. I can go deeper, but let me just stop there to see if you have Well, no, I like this. I'm relating it to myself because I have those struggles too, because I can't sit still, but every day I know I, I can. So every day, every morning I wake up and I have quiet time, no cell phone, no nothing. I, for us older people, I just turned 50 this year. I, I actually journal. I write things down. It sets my day up. But the biggest thing is I, I try to gather my thoughts, one, but two, the positive things that I'm thankful for in my life, my family, their well-being, the things that I have going on is, is just is life-changing is a good way for me to say it every single day because it starts my mind outright and it seems to roll through the day. I, there's a question in here. I'm just, I'm trying to explain it. Sorry, long-winded. And my mind is going because I got, oh my God, we can go so many places with this, is how do we, I, I can't meditate. I've tried, I've honestly tried and I just can't meditate. So I have to find some other way like I'm doing now. But what about if we struggle with that time that we truly need it? How do we get over those struggles? What are things that we can do? Yeah. Do you mind if I challenge you on a few things? Yeah. I, I'm all for it, man. I'll try. Believe I, me, I say, like, a joke that I say is I'll try something one or 10 times. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So I heard you say, I can't sit still. Okay. Which would indicate to me, if you just take your language really seriously, that you have no capacity to manage yourself. And let me okay. say to you that you, could, you might want to, just as a thought experiment, I choose not to sit still. It's different than I can't okay. sit. Because if you think, really think about it, if you are successful with whatever I'm suggesting to you or whatever practices you do, you will teach your system to sit still. So it's not that you're incapable of doing it. You're just choosing not to, and you don't have the capacity or skills at this present moment to do it. So my preference would be like, oh, just watch your, really, your language because you're putting yourself in a box that you can't get out of it. So is language a big part of this? Is language part of our challenge is that we're using the wrong language and it resonates and then just sticks? 
So in my work with clients, I look at language deeply, both what we say and how we say it, like tone and volume, the particular words you use. And I'd be mindful of saying it's wrong. It's like my suggestion for me is for you is like, I, I've chosen this particular language because of served me till this moment. Like for whatever reason, there's a secondary gain, maybe like, I don't know you well enough to start assessing you, but I'm just throwing out things to think about. There's a secondary gain for me to be able to say, I can't sit still. Okay. And if I was working with you, I'd explore that. And then I have you really watch your language. What language are you using that, that limits you and the full capacity of who you are, or what's possible for you? Because like I just said, if you say, I can't sit still, wow, you, you have no uh, sovereignty, you're not free. Literally, your physical being is overpowering your capacity as, as a being. You hit that all on the head, and I agree with you. And there's something else that ties into that is... Time is our most valuable asset. People think money and I'm like, dude, you can make a ton of money. You can lose it and you can re-earn it. But guess what? You don't get time back. And time has been a very big struggle for me as an entrepreneur. And I would probably say in the last 18 months and I, and maybe a little longer, but I would say in the last six months, I've gotten very good at blocking time. I have specific things I do during the day that are on my calendar. And for the longest time, I always refused to do that. I thought that was stupid to have my calendar manage me. And now I use technology, an AI platform that literally knows my schedule and I've created it. And then it can suggest certain things to do so I can be more productive. Ooh, and it's cool. been yeah, it's been changing for me. Is it life-changing? No, because it still starts up here and it still has to be focused here. And one of the biggest things I do from after I get up, I walk the dog, sorry, and I get my morning routine. I sit down and I'm working by 6.30. Immediately, I put my phone on do not disturb because it's already going off and I'm already looking at text messages. I'm looking at email yeah. and I'm supposed to be into a block of, of focus already. So. Just as when we started the conversation, and I love what you said about you know, your mentor suggested you take the five love languages and apply it to business. So I'm going to suggest you apply it with something you're already doing, more broadly speaking, just as a concept. Okay. You said technology, and you're using technology to assist you in managing your yep. time. I would suggest you would look at your own body as a form of technology that yeah. you can manage towards the ends that you see. She can manage your body towards the ends that you seek. So there's states of being that we have in our body. And one of them could be like, oh, I, I believe I cannot sit still because I have all this energy in me. That's a belief and that's the feeling we have in our body. But what if you're able to manage that energy towards certain ends? So it wasn't necessarily you can't sit still, but you can actually use that energy to accomplish something. It's no different than a technology you're using to guide your life in a particular period of time for time management. So like okay. when, I, when I said to you earlier, when I was talking to you earlier about like, how do you organize yourself against a particular feeling? Once you are aware of how you do that, you, then you can deconstruct the, the, the physicality of that and go from reaction to, to response. So it's, it's a place of, I'm almost a robot being reactive to my environment, internal environment as well, to freedom of choosing how I want to use what's going on inside my body. So now, for instance, if, like, if I said to you, if we were working together and you said, Hey, Michael, I noticed that I'm sad right now. And I'd be like, I might say to you, Hey, Ryan, let's pretend like I don't know what you mean by sad. That's weird. Okay. How do you know that you're sad? And you might describe to me 
various physiological things going on in your system. Or let's actually, let's stick with anger. Anger is a good one. I said, I'd be like, let's pretend like I don't know what you mean by anger. You might, so you might describe to me various physiological things going on. Oh, I noticed my heart beats faster. I, okay, interesting. So that's an indication for you that you're angry. I notice I'm holding my breath. Okay, that's an indication for you that you're feeling angry. I notice some tightness in my jaw. I'm noticing the script in my head, this faster pace of the language, and maybe it's a little oh, bit yeah. of language. So there's a whole way you organize what, what you might call anger. The problem with this, the, giving a concept, like when we name something, sometimes it can be a way of dismissing it. Oh, I'm angry. Well, what's the actual experience where I'm sad, whatever it is. I, I would encourage you to sit with your experience. You're like, I, I'm tight here. This is what's going on in my mind. This is the script in my head. My heart beats faster. And I'm contracting here, so I'm, I'm breathing like only in my chest, not deeply in my abdomen. Okay, cool. Now you know how you do this, so you don't feel fully the anger. What would it be like if we deconstructed some of those things? What if you looked at your body as technology, which you could manage? Okay, you can relax the muscles and the fats in the chest, expand this up, and then start breathing down here. So this relaxes a little bit more. You get the full breath, so you can breathe more fully, which you mean you feel more fully. Maybe it's just a matter of opening your jaw a little bit, stretching it out a little bit. So it relaxes a little bit. Maybe it's just a, uh, also be like being much more aware of the, the scripts in your mind. You start doing this, the energy starts flowing and you feel what you're trying to repress against. The anger will come out and then you can be really clear. What's this anger about for many people? I mean, everyone's different, but anger could be about boundaries. Yeah. It's not going well and you need to create a boundary to self-correct yourself or the situation or a particular relationship you're in. Cool, valuable information. If you repressed it, you start to hide against it, you're not going to know about the shift you might need in that relationship, creating new boundaries or whatever it happens to be. But okay, go down a rabbit hole there. Point is, is like you, you're the technology that you're getting to learn how to use towards more positive ends. As one example. So. I guess the best way to describe this, and 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 I'll use myself as an example. In all of this, it, it sounds like we really need to be consistent in, in doing that quiet time or however you want to, you know, approach that. But the other piece of the consistency is the actual persistence and being persistent. I don't know if that, if I'm on the right path or not, because I'm thinking of on a daily basis, an entrepreneur or a business owner that we have ups and downs. All day long, you know, we, we've, we're dealing with a bunch of things, making sure payroll gets met, you're paying the bills. There's anxiety in there for that at some, or you're in a large project, whatever the case is, you have those ups and downs, but there's two things that a good entrepreneur or a small business owner, or even a owner, whatever is persistent, being persistent and consistent. Could those two things tie into this and in what we're talking about? Definitely love both those words, consistent and persistent. And it's interesting too, because one has to be mindful of how one chooses to use one's technologies off the body, if you want to use that language. I, I'm reminded I had a client of mine who lost his wife, uh, passed away, and uh, it was horrible. And he had to take care of the business side of things, the family side of things, and the funeral. And he had no time to feel the deep grief of this huge loss because he had like things he literally had to take care of for the first week, like literally like, all this stuff. But he knew enough that he needed to eventually feel those feelings, like, because if he didn't, it's going to come out sideways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay. He's on the phone with the insurance company to take care of the business side of things. He's, he doesn't have time to break down and, and start 
losing it. But he knows like within a couple of days when he's had some private time or maybe with the right family members or therapist or whomever, he can just feel a deep grief and let it out. Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't feel what he needs to feel, literally, like I said, it's going to come out sideways. I'm actually in the middle of a training that looks at this, this present year that looks at intersection between trauma and chronic illness and losing someone is traumatic, but let, let's just talk about physical abuse or mental, emotional abuse or, or various types of really intense trauma that can happen in an individual. If it's not dealt with, it gets locked in the body. And from my research and understanding of the last 30 years of looking into this kind of stuff, it can come out as a wide variety of disease processes and, or it can come out as psychological issues like depression and anxiety against along those lines. So if we don't deal with whatever's happening inside of us at an appropriate time, it's going to deal with us. So if you want to be consistent and persistent, yeah, there might be times to manage ourselves and not have to feel something because we have to get something accomplished. But if you don't deal with it eventually, it's going to deal with you. And yeah, you might be the really successful entrepreneur. It's great. But like 10, 15, 20 years later, when it starts coming out, really coming out sideways through psychological issues or psych or uh, physical problems or interpersonal, like great, you're successful, but you're fucking what your wife hates you and right. your kids block you. That's not really help. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Or your husband. No, I'm with you on that. One of the biggest things is you've got to. You have to get your problems out and you be, and you have to, I guess the best way is bear your soul. As I say, and for a pretty long time, I didn't think coaching was meant for me, but once I found the right coach, I was beyond belief. Sorry. My dog is my microphone. Sorry guys. Let me ask you a question. How did you know it's a right coach for you? Like what was the fit for you? The, the connection piece and being able to. I felt like I can speak freely, but also explain where my mindset was without feeling like I was going to be put down. And when I say put down, that's the right words that came to my mind. So I'll use it. But what I just didn't feel comfortable with other coaches. They felt like they were, it was a drive-by literally checking the box. They're making money off me. Call it a day. This coach wants to spend time with me and figure out exactly what's going on. Because I had struggles when I came out of corporate America to become an entrepreneur, failed twice, had to go back twice. And now this is my third run after six years, sorry, seven years of now doing this. I've gone through a lot of trials and tribulation. And a lot of that is for me to get through that is because I have a coach. And let me say, I'm not surprised the way you describe what's affected in the session for you. Because to begin this conversation, you're not transactional, you're relational. So it makes sense. You want someone who actually like cares for you. I mean, I'll use the word loves and cares and yeah. empathy for you and understand. Oh yeah, man, that's wonderful. You found someone that fits you really well. Yeah. Cause that seems the kind of person you are. And the cool thing about it is then working with this coach, he's on a mission to help and impact 5 million people through his coaching. So he has, now he has a, a, a group, or I don't know if you want to call it a tribe. And there's about two or 300 of us that show up on a weekly basis. And we all just, it's a zoom call. And then once a year we meet up in Florida, it's cool. Oh, Everybody gets to open up, talk about their business, talk about what's going on. And sometimes people just have to lay it out and say, this is my challenge. And there's always somebody there to help out. And it's just the belonging is probably a big key that just keeps me going back. But he personally being able to connect with him and be able to help me through some of these 
uh, I, I just call them shitty times, is good. It's it really so, is. The the kind of so, so two or three things I hear from you is okay. Belonging is really important. You got your tribe. You got your team. Your group. That's awesome. And then you said persistent and consistent. And the practices you laid out at the very beginning of this conversation. Like, hey, this is what I do every morning. This opens my heart. The gratitude stuff. Like this gets me in the right mindset. Perfect. I, like I. I call those AM and PM rituals. Like what are, what are you doing in the morning to get your head, heart, and body ready for the day? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, PM rituals, like what do you do to turn the system down so you can get ready for a good night's sleep? But also reflect on the day. What did you learn? What are the takeaways? What are you going to take into the next day? So it's awesome that you're consistent and persistent on what you do. And I think that translates to life in general. And... The space like we're in, the affordable housing space, unfortunately, a lot of these people have been beat down by the system and they don't realize that they truly have the tools and skills to overcome being a renter for, I I've literally seen where we've helped three generations of renters living in a house to become homeowners, but it took so much out of me that I went down the rabbit hole with them because it was just, again, that was in the early days of what we we're doing. And now that's why we have a nonprofit and we're getting that going, blah, blah, blah. But oh, yeah, it's, I see it on a daily basis. And I guess we're, we're getting close to wrap this up, but I, I want to go back is social media is great, but it's also a double-edged sword and, and it does a lot of negativity. How can we as human beings, and I know this is a loaded question, effectively use social media but then also be able to tune it out to where it doesn't control our thought process on a daily basis. I'll share, I literally, I just had this conversation with a client this last week and, and I like to challenge my clients. Like I do with you, do you mind if I challenge you on something? And uh, he's having trouble with social media. He said he's on it all the time. He's not getting his work done. But I just challenged him. I said, what if just for seven days, you chose a certain amount of time every morning or evening. You choose when, when you want to do it, that you're on, you do whatever you do on social media. You want to post, you want to reach some picture, people you follow, cool. But as part of that process, you actually have to delete the app. You can't keep it on your phone or the apps because there's mm -hmm. probably multiple different platforms. And that does that pause, which I talked to at the very beginning. It's okay, I feel something and then I distract myself. If I can create a pause between I feel something and I distract myself and extend that pause, there's freedom there. I don't automatically go to do whatever that thing I distract myself with. Same with him. Like he now has to reload the app, gives him a moment to think about, do I really want to do this? Then he has to delete the app. And I've been hearing from him. So I was like, hey, check with me every day this week. Let me know how it's going. And for the first couple of days, this is going great. This is going great. I do, I'm following the, just the prescription. I'm changing. I'm deleting it. I'm adding and deleting it. Then he's like, I've stopped putting it back on. <laughs> And I only will go on with a particular, like my laptop, which I don't have, I don't carry around from all the time. So it's even more restricted in terms of time and space that you'd be online doing whatever he does on social media. And that's not for everyone. Yeah. There's just one way to challenge him to, to see what might work for him. But I think we could, case, I think we can all do that. I, mean, I use social for a business aspect in every which way. So typically on a Saturday. I will spend two or three hours and I schedule out all my social media posts or my VA will do that. That's the amount of time that I really spend on it. I don't want to sit there and scroll through it. I do respond to people's when they, when they message me or they comment on our posts or whatever. But outside of that, it really isn't. Unfortunately, I am, I do watch the University of YouTube. I learn a lot off of YouTube 
So I, okay. I, I can say that I do have that challenge. But outside of that, I don't want to sit and scroll. I've become a reader. In high school and college, I wasn't much of a reader. And now I read and I spend two hours a night just reading. Good for you. I, I'm curious what you read, but let me throw one thing. A, a, a framework that might be possibly useful is what am I free from and what am I addicted to? And I use the word addicted in a very broad way. And I just like drugs, that. anything that controls my attention that I believe I don't have capacity to manage, I'm addicted to. I'm a slave to whatever it is. And all I have to do with all my clients with everything in their life, what are you not free from? Because one of the ways I work with clients, like how can I free you live the life that you really want to live independent of the social constructs and the cultural forms and family of origin programming and intergenerational stuff. Cause that way you're like, then you're like living your life, not someone else's life that you think she living. So what are you not free from? And then work with someone, find tools, techniques, uh, systems that help free you from that. It doesn't mean you have to be hundred percent free from doing it. You can still use it, or you're using it from choice. You're free to choose to use it. You're not like a slave to it. And I put that in quotes too, because we're always at choice. But like we said at the very beginning of this conversation, I can't control myself or however yeah. you might've said that. Well, you can't. I can't sit still. As you, I can't sit still. But so I, like I said, I choose not to sit still and I'm going to choose to develop the capacity to free myself from the inability to use, like, develop the capacity, skills and practices, disciplines. It's the consistency and the persistency mm -hmm. that you are talking about. And I've gotten, you know, being able to have a quiet mind in the morning, that's taken a lot of work. So that is mm -hmm. something I'll continue to work on at night. I still need to do better at unwinding, but I'm reading. So when I'm reading, uh, it's either some type of uh, motivational book, self-help, business. And then I like action adventure books too, to really just tune my mind out. So if I've had a real bad day, I'll just get into an action adventure book and just dive into that and let my mind just go away. Who do you like that genre of the action adventure? Oh my gosh. The character's name is Mitch Rapp and, uh, oh, uh, the American assassin. Yes. So that okay. there's, a, there's a whole series. I've read the series twice already. There's 12, oh, wow. 19, okay. 19 books. Wow. So, okay. I've seen the movie. I remember. Yeah. So there's a series in that. So yeah, it's, that's, nice. it's finding ways to turn off your mind and just disconnect is probably been the, the most challenging thing I've done in this journey, but it's also the most rewarding because it allows me to recharge my batteries because I have to be able to sleep at night. Uh, sleep's important. Yes. Uh, you go down that rabbit hole because when I work with clients, there's five or six physiological functions that I track really close with clients and sleep was one of them. Because I find if you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not moving, you're not physically training, you're not dealing with your stress, you're not spending time in nature, God physiologically dysregulated, it's hard to make the changes that we've been talking about. You feel like crap, it's hard to move in a new direction. It, it's, it's tough. As we wrap this up, it's been a great conversation. We probably could go for another hour. Are you bringing on clients? Are you working with new people? What's going on there? Yeah. So three cat four categories of people I, I work with. I work with individuals. I have a whole program called Emergent Human that we work on the physiological, psychological, social environmental aspects of human life from go from surviving to thriving. I'm co-launching a men's group, which I, I mentioned earlier, it's on resilience optimized, which is the name of it with my friend, JC Glick, a former army ranger. And that's launching here at work. So you 
about three weeks. In fact, I've worked a month for it. In about three weeks, I work with couples. So the couple will want to work with me. And then I also have a program where I'll fly out to you for one to three day intensives. Like you as an individual will do it. You as a, a married couple will do it. Or you and your small team, I'll do that as well. It's one to three days. And just for background's sake, besides being a marriage and family therapist and trained somatically, I'm also a master coach and head and instructor at SealFit's Unbeatable Mind Academy. So I bring in a lot of that kind of work. So it's like mind, body, spirit, interpersonal work into these intensives that I work with people on. And if someone wants to reach out to you and connect, what would be the best place to do? Something? Yeah, my website, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, the letter D for D, D Australink. O-S-T-R-O-L-E-N-K.com. I will also put that in the show notes in the, so they'll get that there. Sir, thank you very much for coming on. It's, it's enlightening uh, of what you're doing, but also eye-opening because there's some things that I know I can still work on every single day to get to that place of quiet in the morning and quiet at night. So where I can really recharge the batteries, but also focus myself. Thank you, Ryan, for having me on. I appreciate the conversation. You're more than welcome.